0: Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com.
1: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good evening and welcome to Foment about, about It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
1: I'm Mary Izette.
2: <laughs> and I'm Chris Kuzmi.
1: And we're your hosts through this weekly journey on all things fermented.
2: Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and also right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
1: Happy, happy summer. <laughs> so I'm super excited. We've had a, um, it's not been so warm here in, in New York City until recently. Uh, so I'm really digging summer. So, I wanna just give some shout outs and some love right now. First of all, we're finally in the 80s. um, So, my kombucha is taking off. I just started two more batches of, I just ordered two more batches of water kefir grains from Yee Moose, and those are going. I wanna give a huge lot of love for all the Berliner and Berliner esque lacto driven beers that are out there. Yes. So, in the last two weeks, I've had the Peekskill Simple Sour, the single cut Kim Hibiscus Sour Lager, the Finback Star Child the um, Greenpoint Ale Works, Ale?
2: Greenpoint Berry Ale?
1: Yes. When Life Hands You, and the 508 Blackberry Burlesque, which is the Pillow Talk number three that, that Chris and I brewed. But those are all New York... Actually, four of those were made in New York City, one in New York State. Those are all... Burlesque style beers, basically, and they're absolutely delicious.
2: Berliner stuff. I mean, Berliner. <laughs> ours is. Burlesque. I know ours is burlesque. I can't get my
1: mind off that. And then um, recently this week, I actually had two that are more. Well, I, I have to say, I appreciate all of those, and um, but most of them are served. They're more. Intense, I'd say, flavorful, more like Berliners, right? Yeah. But um, recently, I had two more that I would more consider along the line of a session Berliner that are as intense. They were both served in pint glasses and were just great session refreshers. So I got to give a shout out to these two: the Ithaca Cayuga Cruiser, which is from Ithaca, New York, and then the Longtail Long, Long trail. trail Brown Bag Series Number Ten Berliner. So those were both served in pint glasses, were just awesomely refreshing, and I'm super excited to be drinking very low alcohol absolutely delicious refreshing beers this summer
2: if you're unfamiliar with their style it is a kind of sour kind of can can be lemon e lemonish like
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, uh refreshing beer and i'm saying that only because we also have started making our arnold palmers with it instead which has been a lot of fun I, half iced tea and half berlin of ice it actually worked quite well yeah i would agree <laughs> All um nice.
1: The other thing that Chris and I did this weekend is our friend Raphael, who runs Enlightenment Wines. We had him on the show last year. He has a community-supported winery, so we picked up our box of CSW wine, meads, and cider-type beverages, and we're really excited about that. Um, We also joined the Transmitter Brewing, CSB, so community-supported brewery, and we just picked up our first two bottles from that on Sunday. That was our first time at Transmitter Brewery in Long Island City. They're just under Pulaski Bridge. That's super exciting. Their tasting room is open on the weekends. You can go taste some of their beers as well as purchase bottles. And then I believe last time I spoke to them, they still had some slots in their CSB. So if you're interested, you do have access to bottles that you can't purchase otherwise through their uh, CSB program. I would suggest that you reach out to them and I'm going to put um, I'll send a link out to Twitter for Transmitter the other local shout out that I would like to give is the new restaurant Delaware and Hudson which Chris and I went and ate at Saturday night
2: Chef Patty Jackson
1: yep it's a what five or six course price fix meal right currently lots of uh local produce and seasonal produce and we also were very lucky to drink two transmitter beers there
2: that's right it's awesome in their in their first two months they're doing great stuff and to have it there was a great surprise but going back to Raphael of <laughs> enlightenment wines he makes some very different and interesting wines and today's show is all about weird wines what am I talking about with weird wines What what is wine and what are, what are weird wines and where are we going
1: alright so typically you think of as wine as a grape fermented or a fermented grape juice beverage but there's a whole history of wines that are made from other things fruits vegetables herbs um, that pretty much covers I guess so let's bring in our first guest we actually have two guests one in the studio and one on the phone so let's start with Jason Knight from Seattle, Washington hi Jason
3: hi thanks for having me on the show
1: Thanks for being on. And our second guest in studio is...
3: Damien
4: Harris Hernandez. Hernandez.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who we met at the Ferment Ferment Festival put on by Zach Schulman um, in Brooklyn earlier this year. So let's start with Jason. I actually am part... I think we've mentioned this Facebook group before, but there's a group on Facebook called Wild Fermentation. And it's basically... If you're on Facebook and you're interested in doing fermentation, wild or otherwise, you should be a part of this group because people are doing all kinds of stuff from water kefir to sauerkraut to crazy bra fermented corn cobs and um, and Jason recently posted a photo of his cam- chamomile rose wine so Instantly, I was completely fascinated and would love to be near Seattle so I could bribe him into letting me taste some, but we're going to have to settle for just having him as a call and guest. So, Jason, you do all kinds of interesting fruit and um, herbal spiced wines. How did yep. you get into to making these concoctions?
3: well when i was living in hawaii i was hanging out with a lot of hippies there and i ended up learning a lot of stuff hanging out with these, these good group of friends um... one of them is winemaking but the thing that really started it all was um... just last year i had a friend over and i made her a soda out of straight up cranberry juice and carbonated water well, she needed sugar in there, and the only thing I had was lavender simple syrup. So we mixed it up, tried it out, and I started thinking, "Wow, this would be great if there were alcohol in it." And that's where the mad science started with making wine. Awesome.
2: So what? What is wine? I mean, what is why is this? Uh, why is this wine? Why are we considering this wine? Are you...
3: Um. Well, because it's. It's just uh, it's just a simple process of using yeast to break sugar down to form alcohol. So all you really need to make a homebrew of yeast or a homebrew of wine is just sugar yeast, and whatever fruit flavoring, vegetable flavoring, or herbal flavoring you can think of. So it's very that, simple.
2: Was that your first uh, that was that your first wine making experience? You used uh, cranberry, the lavender simple syrup.
3: And uh, yes, that was my first experience. And it? it came out to about a 13%. Um, it was very tasty. Uh, when I first when I first opened it up and started bottling it, I drank some of it, and I was incredibly disappointed because it, it just tasted a little bit like maybe old juice. <laughs> and I was disappointed, but I was drinking it on an empty stomach. Sooner <laughs> or later, it ended up hitting me, and I'm like, wow, this is... This is really good.
2: <laughs>
3: uh, you were was disappointed.
2: Were you disappointed because it didn't taste good, or you were disappointed because it, you couldn't taste the alcohol because of the flavors that that masked it?
3: Because the I couldn't taste the alcohol in right. it. I literally thought that the juice just sat there and didn't do anything.
1: <laughs> right. So, are you how big of batches are you doing? It looks like you're doing one gallon batches. Is that correct?
3: Uh, yes. Um, it just depends on how ambitious i'm feeling i could do at the most uh... five gallons at a time okay and i keep getting so many more ideas but my bottles are already full fermenting and i gotta wait for those to get done i've also got a big uh... five-gallon container that someone gave me a long time ago and um, i made one batch of wine in that i ended up peeling about twenty pairs and making five gallons of pear wine for a Thanksgiving party we had at work.
2: What have you learned since starting? I mean, what, have you had any that you were dissatisfied with and do you, through troubleshooting do you know what went wrong, if at all?
3: Um, I've only had one of them that was, I'd say, absolutely disappointing. Non, it wasn't drinkable. Um, I'm not entirely sure what happened to that batch. I was trying to make a cherry vanilla wine, and maybe I didn't put enough cherry in there, so it just really tasted—it tasted kind of like vinegar—and I just ended up pouring it out.
2: I have a question. I'm a—I'm a—you know—primarily beer brewer. I have not made wine yet. I keep saying that, but I will—I will one day, soon, maybe. Um, but uh, I'm always concerned with—with with, uh, sanitation. Um, what is, how important is that in winemaking of
3: this kind? you got to bleach everything that you use because um, it's, it's a risk to take whenever you don't clean your equipment. Um, you could spend 30 days letting a wine ferment and let's say on day 28 you'll notice mold growing up on the top and you just spend a lot of time, effort, and love making something that just turned moldy. Yeah. So you have really got to like bleach everything out that you use, and definitely be sure to rinse all that bleach out because that'll just end up killing your yeast if you don't get it rinsed out. But sanitation is very important.
2: What is? Oh, sorry.
1: Well, I, I know I have a question. You're not okay, letting me sorry. get a chance. So. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> are you using um, commercial yeast in your fermentations? Are you doing some wild yeast, some natural yeast? Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Well, I've been using commercial yeast lately, and um, I just recently joined the wild fermentation group because I thought, hey, I would like to figure out, you know, just in case I'm way out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, if I found some fruit I could make wine out of it. So how do I learn how to just let yeast naturally ferment things? And that's still a quest that I'm working on right now, but so far I've been using uh, commercial yeast um Mostly uh, champagne yeast, mm-hmm. which I love that bubbly effect that it gives to everything. And then also pasture red. Whenever I'm doing anything dark, like a beet wine perhaps, I like to use the pasture red.
1: And do you find that that more fits the profiles, kind of your, your flavor and aroma profile of those darker kind of fruits or vegetables? Uh, say that again Do you find that the pasture red yeast f- more fits the aroma and flavor profile that you want to get from those kind of darker fruits and vegetables?
3: yes um, it's it's a very it's much slower brewing than uh, or it's slower fermenting than the champagne yeast, but um it can take longer, but you definitely get a different taste um, It sort of comes out with a little bit of a buttery taste mm-hmm.
2: How long do your ferments generally take for, say, Um, that first one that was 13% off?
3: The one that was 13%, I let that ferment for about a month. Um, It just all depends on how much sugar I've got in there, how much natural sugar is in the fruit that I've added, as well as the yeast that I'm using. So if I decide I just want to make like a simple cider, I can do that in about a week. And then for something that I want to make, like, let's say 15% or more, it takes a little bit longer, so I usually give that about a month.
1: And what, when you're coming up... No, go ahead.
3: To do something simple, like just uh, a 7% alcohol percentage, um, it really just takes a week, and... It's it's simple. All you really need to do is um, you could just go buy bottles of pure one hundred percent apple juice at the grocery store, dump a quarter teaspoon of yeast in there and let it sit for you know, seven seven days, maybe a little bit longer, and you've got you pretty much got cider.
2: <laughs> or you could do what I did in high school, which is spit in the top and then leave it for a month and back in the back of the closet of your dorm. <laughs>
1: Terrible idea. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't taste great, but it worked.
1: So going back to your wines, you do a lot of very interesting flavor combinations, like peach elderflower. You add the, your cranberry, lavender, your strawberry rhubarb with fennel, a rhubarb ginger, and a blueberry pomegranate. So, what are your inspirations for coming up with these very, you know, creative flavors that sound absolutely delicious?
3: Well, like I mentioned earlier about being a mad scientist about it, um, it's just I'm really passionate about just mixing whatever flavor i think of Um, most of the time it ends up coming out pretty good but here recently i got into doing herbal wines and trying to find medicinal benefits um, behind the herbs i put in the wine and also another thing another special thing about using herbs in wine is the taste might end up coming out completely different than what you're expecting For example, it's almost like when I make the when I'm making the peach, the white peach and elderflower wine, um, it comes out with a sort of taste, not really just a taste, but an experience. Like, let's say sitting out in the field eating a peach. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. it's not just the flavor itself, but it can also stimulate an experience. the elderflower has got a very grassy kind of hay earthy taste to it and then added with peach is it just makes an excellent summertime drink
1: yeah, i totally agree <laughs> yeah
2: we often talk about how flavor invokes memories
1: yeah and flavors like, and aroma yeah. aromas bring you somewhere else and that's
3: that's where the whole mad scientist thing comes into play with making wine and oh. then soon i'm going to be working on uh my next step is making a wine with uh some more bitter things like uh, mugwort and wormwood and I see that those have a lot of uh, medicinal effects for um, uh, blood circulation, uh, women's monthly problems, it helps out with that and uh, I'm just kind of getting more into making a wine that can be a medicine as well Mm -hmm. and then the, the chamomile rose wine that was pretty much the first like real medicinal one i made it it really put me to sleep i slept for a long time i was actually <laughs> drinking the glass and fell asleep i woke up and i spilled the rest of it on me
1: and on that uh, note we're going to take a brief worked. break and we're going to come back and talk more about how you made your chamomile rose wine and then we're going to bring vegan into right, hang on it. tight
0: Like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, greatbrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today.
2: Welcome back to Foment About It on org.
1: So we're here in the studio with a live guest, Damien, and a call-in guest, Jason, from Seattle, talking about weird wines. So, Jason, we were just talking to you. You had just brought up your chamomile rose wine, so I'd like to talk to you about the ingredients that you used and your process.
3: Okay, so the ingredients I use, um, besides just the basics of sugar and yeast... um, What I did, I ended up brewing a tea of herbs. I used, um, let's see, I used a lot of chamomile, probably about an ounce of chamomile. Um, I used rosebuds, pink rosebud, and I also put lemon verbena and damiana in there.
1: And you chose lemon verbena and damiana because they also are kind of... Herbs that are well, associated with sleeping, I've, um, peaceful?
3: I previously made an aphrodisiac wine with just rose buds, damiana, and lemon verbena in it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that gives you like a very relaxed body buzz. And I was thinking like some people have trouble whenever they take chamomile. They can end up staying awake and it just becomes useless. So I put those herbs there to give you that relaxed feeling so whenever the chamomile hits. You're definitely going to sleep, cool. as I saw the other night.
1: So when you steep your um, teas, are you steeping them at a certain temperature, like just off boil water, or, and how long do you typically steep your herbs for?
3: Um, I just, uh, as far as steeping the herbs, I didn't actually steep the chamomile. I let the chamomile um, ferment in with the wine. Okay. But the, the aphrodisiac herbs, I boiled water but I let that cool down a little bit before I started steeping, and I steeped it for a pretty good amount of time, probably about 10 or 15 minutes. I don't think you really need to steep it as long, but um, I just want to make sure everything gets out of it, and just thoroughly squeezing the tea bag out and soaking it again and squeezing it.
1: And then you're cooling down this mixture, pitching your yeast, and then you use an airlock? Um, Yes, I have to.
3: I definitely have to wait till the tea cools down before I add that into the carboy. Otherwise, um, the the heat will end up killing the yeast. But um, what I do is I just make the tea and I add that. And I also add a little bit of lemon juice. Um, I notice if you add lemon juice to homemade herbal wines, it keeps it from getting a flat taste on it 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 really just a couple drops of lemon juice really enhances it
1: mm-hmm. so probably adding some acidity in the back
3: mm-hmm. and, and then what the i do is um i've got some tops to put on it some airlocks official ones um you don't really need the official ones all you really have to do is uh a hole in the top of a balloon and strap that over the top of your bottle and whenever you see it slightly inflate, you know that means the carbon is escaping. hmm And the balloon is there, or the airlock is there to keep stuff from getting back into the wine and allowing the carbon to escape.
1: And like to, we're going to bring in Damien now. So, Damien, yes. just, Chris just poured uh, one of your palm wines. So, tell us about your pomegranate wines.
4: Well... Um, And I know
1: Jason also makes some pomegranate wine, so I'd love to get some discussion going.
4: So my pomegranate wine is actually made out of dumpstered pomegranate wine, or pomegranate juice from a dumpster in Brooklyn. From a dumpster. Yes. Because that's That's what we do in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) We throw away our pomegranate. (laughs) Right. So it's a juice distribution place, and um, we were digging around in it one night, and there was just so much pomegranate juice that... Um, I got the idea. Why not try fermenting it? Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And pomegranate, the, the pomegranate juice comes in different flavors. It comes in the plain, of course. And there's, like, tangerine and different other flavors. So I'd get, like, a mixture of the, like, mostly just the plain stuff. And then to add a little bit of acidity to it, I would do the tangerine. I think they had some other kind of citrus um, flavor as well. And... That seemed to work pretty well. This is, the the batch we're drinking now is the sixth and last batch that I've um, bottle fermented. My my pomegranate wine is fermented uh, in the bottle, so it's carbonated naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made pomegranate wine beforehand that wasn't um, fermented, but I like it a lot better with the bubbles in it. With the carbonation. Are you saying that you,
2: do you undergo a primary fermentation and then put it in the bottle? I do, then you re- yeah. Re- or, okay.
4: Yeah, yeah. the,
1: and are you using commercial yeast for this? I
4: am. Actually, I am using the Pasture Red okay. for the first uh, fermentation. I usually make it in g- batches of either two gallons or five gallons, depending on how much I can carry home. Um, and then after it ferments, uh, in, I put it in the, in the fermentation bucket has a spigot on it. Mm-hmm. And then for about maybe five, de- five days to a week, and then I transfer it into the carboy and let that sit for maybe a month or two. And I also add sugar as well to it. Um, and then I add champagne yeast. In, or I pour it back into the bucket with the spigot on it, and I add champagne yeast and put it into the bottle huh. uh, that way. And add before I do that, I add the, yeah the champagne yeast and a little bit of sugar, um, enough so that it won't... Um, you know, explode the bottle, but enough to get that carbonation in there.
1: So let's talk about the sugars that you guys are using, uh, Damien. What kind of sugar are you adding to your pomegranate wines? I just wines? use
4: uh, white, straight cane white sugar. Death. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And and Jason, what kind of sugar are you using for your wines?
3: I use um, organic cane sugar.
1: Mm-hmm. So just table. You guys are both using table sugar.
4: Table sugar. yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Much, yeah.
4: And. um yeah, this last batch, though, however, was made with pomegranate um, concentrate that I found in the dumpster as well. <laughs> and um, It was one fun. gallon of concentrate, so it would make five gallons, and that was great because it was a lot easier to take home.
2: Why do you think uh, they yeah. were throwing this away? Um, probably do you expiration think you saved dates. It by, okay.
4: Yeah, definitely expiration dates. Um, a lot of them weren't even expired, but they would expire within a few days. And this was a distribution center. Uh, yeah. So. Um, they would still have to take it to all the stores and stuff, and the store's not going no to want something that's going to. time to do it. With the
2: date well. Yeah, yep. but you could take. It. You pretty much were taking it straight away and fermenting as soon as possible with it.
4: Uh pretty much. I mean, this is this stuff is seems especially the actually the concentrate I had in my house for over a year. Mm-hmm. I had two... I dumpstered two gallons. The first one I made within a couple of weeks, and then the other one, um, was sitting around for like a year.
2: Had you made any other uh, fermented beverages before before doing this? Uh,
4: yeah, I made um, honey wine from. Um, the book wild fermentation, the Tej. um, And I've carbonated that as well um, with the secondary fermentation process. Um, And I've also made apple cider from apple cider at the farmer's market. Um, And pink champagne. What
2: is pink champagne?
4: Pink champagne... Was a disaster, but um, I basically got gra- white grape juice and added from the dumpster. No, not from the dumpster. Okay, from the store. Um, <laughs> it was actually a gift for my wife uh, for her birthday because uh, she likes pink champagne. Nice, but it, didn't, it She liked it, and it turned out okay. But it wasn't like it didn't taste like anything like champagne. It tasted like fermented grape grape juice. Mm-hmm. And to make it pink, I think I added probably red, yeah, red grape juice to mm-hmm. the white grape juice. So
2: fair enough. Yeah. And
4: why was that disastrous? your wife's um, reaction no she liked it <laughs> but I I really wanted it to taste like champagne but it I mean that was kind of a lofty goal <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so but it just tasted yeah it tasted like fermented grape juice mm mm-hmm. Yeah. No, like, anyway, I mean yeah it had that real um, what's that kind of Concord grape Mm-hmm. flavor Okay,
1: okay yeah.
4: i so. fermented Welch's. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But it was the gotcha. bargain brand. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even as good as, as Welch's. <laughs> Amazing.
2: Amazing. But I, that's, I, that's pretty fun. So, but you've done, I mean, this is the sixth batch of the pomegranate wine, mm-hmm. so you really like these flavors. I mean, these, it, pomegranate wine is pretty fun. And we, we jumped to you when, when we had it because it, it tasted awesome at that ferment-ferment. And uh, Mary had had some pomegranate juice in our refrigerator forever, way past its expiration date. But where is it now?
1: I think it's still in there.
4: Oh, still in still there. still it. somewhere in like there. Because I, I dropped these little tablets into it beforehand to kill all the... the camden? Camden tablets? Camden, yeah. camden mm-hmm. tablets? Camden tablets, yeah. So that um, takes care of any The
1: bad form. yeast. Yeah, yeah bad, bad yeast bacteria. bacteria.
4: Yeah, bacteria okay. is a big problem. So I, I mean, you guys... I have a suspicion that you may have tasted the last batch, number five, which was probably my best batch, which I only had a few bottles left that I took to that. This one... Is a little sour, more sour than um, I like it to be. But I I left it. Ooh, I think in it's the, good though. I think it's. I think like it, I mean, too? it's tart, okay. but it, yeah. It's,
3: yeah, it's got, got some
2: tannins though too. Yeah, to the back of it. Yeah, it but it, it was out. in
4: the it was in the carboy for a long time because I got really busy, and so it, is, is there
2: a danger leaving the wine on top of the yeast in these kind of fermentations? Like I know in beer you can get yeast autolysis and, and get these kind of meaty flavors. It, it doesn't but.
4: seem so. It seems like um, wine is a lot more forgiving than. Um, than beer, mostly because it's a higher sugar content, mm-hmm. I think. And Maybe it, higher alcohol content. Higher alcohol yeah. content yeah. and it Results preserves it better. Um, so I, the only danger really is that it becomes more vinegary.
1: Right, like Jason had mentioned. Jason, do you find that's also the case? Have you had a few batches that you left on the yeast longer than you originally intended?
3: You know, that might actually be what happened to the the cherry vanilla wine that I mentioned. Um, I've actually had a couple wines Go past what I had planned, but um, I didn't have much of a problem with it. But that might be the problem with this uh, this cherry vanilla I tried to make. Learn something today.
1: Yeah, well, I suspect. I mean, based on the fact, if you get a vinegary batch, regardless if it's beer, cider, mead, wine, whatever you're fermenting, we had an, uh, we did a bunch of apple cider experiments last year or the year before, and ended up letting one of them go to vinegar, that's probably indicated of an Acetobacter infection, Mm -hmm. and that's very common. It's all over the place, um, and it thrives with oxygen, so it's a very common thing that can happen.
4: Yeah, because sometimes when I run out of bottles to do the secondary fermentation, I just bottle my excess in, like, screw-on wine bottles Mm -hmm. with the intent of fermenting it later, but those... But depending on how soon I get around to it, they usually are not that good. Right. right. And oxygen is, is getting away. Yeah. And we'll
1: you can't it. always let them go straight. I mean, if you already have an acetobacter infection going and you, if something is going, you know, the way of vinegar, you can't always let it go to vinegar. We have actually a gallon of apple cider that went yeah. to vinegar and is absolutely delicious apple cider vinegar Sweet. now. <laughs> it's, it's awesome
2: apple cider <laughs> Intentional or not. It is beautiful. It is beautiful.
1: So Jason, for those of people who are interested in making some um med- more medicinal herb driven beverages, whether it be wine or something else. Uh one of my favorite books is called Sacred and Herbal Beers and it talks a lot about, you know, making these are specifically beers, but they definitely are applicable to wines or or like I said meads and ciders. What 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 would you recommend for people that are that want to learn more about medicinal herbs and using them in beverages?
3: Well, um I just bought a book recently um, called The Drunken Botanist. I can't remember the <laughs> author's name, but it's a pretty bu- pretty good book. Um, not necessarily a recipe book on wines, but just explains uh, a lot of detail about different plants that you can put in wine. I definitely recommend that. But biggest thing I recommend is just, just try it out. If you've got a crazy idea, mix it together, ferment it, and try it out. If it's bad, then, you know, go back across your steps, change some things out. But definitely, like, don't, don't be hesitant because something might end up turning out bad because chances are it'll turn out to be something incredible. Right.
1: And that's what try. I love doing the one-gallon batches. Both of you guys have done smaller batches. Mm-hmm. I do a ton of smaller batches. Um, And it's a lot of fun because you can experiment. You don't have a lot of, you know, time or money invested. And like Jason said, it could turn out fantastic.
2: I want to go back to one of the very first things you said today, Mary, uh, and ask these guys. We have not talked about temperature with which you're fermenting. Uh So, you know, you said it takes uh, roughly two weeks to a month for some of these fermentations. Um, At what temperature are you fermenting at, Jason? And then also, David.
3: Um. I'm really not monitoring that. I'm just sticking it in my closet. However, I did notice um, during the winter time things were bubbling less, and it seems like they did take a little bit longer than in the summertime, but now that it's gotten summer, my closets get hot, and I just hear them bubbling away in there. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really checked the uh, temperatures, paid much attention to that.
2: Jason, have you, I mean, uh, uh, Damon, have you? Um,
3: yeah,
4: I definitely notice in hot in hotter temperatures that it bubbles away a lot faster yeah. um and so you kind of have to adjust your the time like if like in the winter time sometimes it's like seven or eight days before I transfer into the carboy um mm-hmm. uh, for the initial um fermentation but after we're, but in the summertime, I usually don't fer- uh ferment when it's really hot um but yeah, that can take like only like three or four days. And and I have a basement, so I can store these things down in the basement, too, which is a pretty—the temperature only fluctuates maybe like 10 degrees okay. or so. Okay,
2: so it's a pretty good cellar temperature,
4: mm-hmm. yep. literally.
1: And I will say I've been doing a lot of ferments with champagne yeast this summer and throughout the past few years, and mm-hmm. champagne yeast is actually much more tolerant of a wider range of temperature. So it's actually much—it tol- works well between 45 and 95 yeah. So I think, you know, you both of you guys use champagne yeast. I use a lot of champagne yeast. If you're out there, you're doing some kind of oddball fermentations. Champagne yeast is the way to go.
2: Is yeah, there a lot of true. flavor fluctuation the, from, you know, within that temperature range? I
1: don't know. What, what do you guys find? Our contributions? Um,
4: I haven't really done a big enough sample probably to really determine that because there's so many other factors too. It's, right. right. I try to control as much as possible. I definitely do all the sterilization with um, iodine. A solution, mm-hmm. But as far as, like, other factors...
2: So these kind of ferments, basically your ingredients trump the yeast for the most part, flavor-wise.
4: I would say would so. Say? Yeah,
1: yeah, I would say so. I mean, champagne is pretty neutral, and it really is a workhorse, so... Yeah,
4: yeah that's why, yeah, I mean, because the fermentation stops when yeast, when the alcohol content gets so high that it... Kills you know, the yeast. Kills the yeast, or runs out of sugar, but usually it's the alcohol, and so the... Sh- that's why the champagne yeast will come in later and still be able to survive right. in what maybe killed pasture red or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any other yeast.
3: Now the special the special thing about the champagne yeast though is I really love the bubbly effect that it gives a drink. However, mm-hmm. if you use a different yeast, um I've also used a yeast called couve before. Um They can end up giving a little bit of a taste. You're still going to mostly taste the fruit, vegetables, or herb you made the wine with, but it gives a little bit of an enhancement. Like the pasture red ended up giving a little bit of a buttery taste at the end, which went perfect with
2: beets. That's what I wanted to know.
1: Yeah. And it's also good to experiment. I love that you guys are experimenting with different yeast, too. And all these all these yeasts that you're talking about are dry yeasts. Mm-hmm. So they're actually quite affordable. <laughs> they're significantly less in cost than wet beer yeast, as well as even dry beer yeast. I mean, I went and actually picked up um, some packets of champagne yeast yesterday that were cost me 50 cents a packet. Yeah. Oh, a where local, was that at? I will tell you after uh, this. Okay. No, it's actually Brooklyn Kitchen. Oh. They have the Red Star, oh. the Blue Packs. Great. And 50 cents each. So... I'm also a huge fan of the Lalvin EC 1118. Mm -hmm. So those are the two ones that I use the most. But uh, do you find that's also true, Jason, that the dry yeast is very affordable? It's pretty flexible. It's easy to use.
3: Oh, very affordable. Um, I would say, since I only use about a quarter tablespoon of yeast per gallon of wine, I would say one packet of yeast, uh, I'll pay like a dollar and maybe like nine cents for it. Mm -hmm. But I end up, I could make probably about five to eight batches of wine with that.
1: hmm The smaller, don't smaller really one. not really much at right. all. hmm There's a lot of yeast cells packed in that little packet.
3: Yep. hmm
1: Awesome. Well, I'm so happy that we did this show. We've been talking about weird wines for a while. I made a spinach wine years ago and I'm interested in this kind of stuff. So <laughs> yes, both of you guys nice. have been very inspiring uh, to me personally and hopefully to some of our listeners out there. Absolutely.
2: Thank you, Damien Har-
3: Harris-Hernandez. You're and very welcome. And Jason
1: Knight. <laughs> it's
3: a pleasure. Yeah, thank you.
1: So Chris and I are headed to the National Homebrewers Conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan this week. If you see us around, please say hi. And we will be back next week with a recap show from NHC 2014 For men about it.
0: For men about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.